You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Andrew Child, and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast, a companion piece to the Rutledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Chapter 7, Anything Goes, and with us today is the author of 50 Key Stage Musicals, Robert W. Schneider. Professor Schneider holds academic appointments at Penn State University, New York Film Academy, and Mount Union University, as well as serving as the artistic director for the J2 Spotlight Musical Theater Company, and as an original programming producer at Feinstein's 54 Below in New York City. He is the host of the podcasts Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends, Gay Card Revoked, and This Was a Thing. For the past 15 years, Robert has been one of the most prolific leaders of online education in the arts. Robert, I'm excited to chat about Anything Goes today. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew, and, and please feel free to call me Rob. Oh, wow. Robert Gee, sounds so, so formal. <laughs> it sounds so formal, but we're talking about a formal, sophisticated man today, so if you want to call me Robert, we are. go for it. We are. Let's talk it. about this sophisticated man. So, Cole Porter. Before we go into yes. Cole Porter, yeah. why is Anything Goes in this book, why is it a key stage musical? For me, and, and I think for, for Shannon as well, when we were putting, and Peter Felicia, who was also helping us put this list together, I think one of the things that Anything Goes does that's really important is it takes the what the content of a musical can be and elevates it so it becomes more sophisticated. A lot of the musicals, I think, before Anything Goes, puts like a large net out. Mm-hmm. and hopes that it, it talks to as many audiences as possible. Cole Porter, with Anything Goes, on the other hand, says, no, I'm not going to go down to the lowest common denominator. In fact, I'm going to raise the bar of intelligence and sophistication, and the audience has to meet me there. Okay. So I'm not going to go down to them. And I think, like for example, if you listen to something like T for Two from No No Nanette, where mm-hmm. it's, it, it's very generic... And I feel like songwriting before anything goes, the composer specifically, or the lyricist specifically said, we want to tug at an audience's heartstrings. Cole Porter says, I'm not interested in your heart as much as I am in your mind. Mm. I want your brain to be an active part in watching a musical theater piece. I don't know if that was conscious. I don't know if that's what he was thinking of at the time. But I think because of the wit and sophistication and the elevation that he brings to musicals, just about every single musical after that, whether they realize it or not, suddenly goes, oh my God, the audience is smarter than we're giving them credit for. Okay. They can get a little bit more sophisticated. And when you think of the 1930s, Um, And you think of escapism, I think regardless if you're looking at film or literature or musicals, I think Cole Porter is still like the icon of 1930s escapism because so much of his musicals were about, we don't have a care in the world, Mm -hmm. everyone's filthy rich, it's about education, it's about drinking martinis and tuxedos and evening gowns and penthouses, which is something that was then in movies of that time and in literature of that time, but it was really his musicals that I think encapsulated a certain era. So for me, 
in terms of musical theater trajectory, the key to me is the fact that he's elevated the art form, okay. speci specifically of lyrical writing, of okay. lyric writing. Which, all of that makes sense when we look at the chapter in the book, this one is almost, like, we could call it translation, you yes, know? Yes, yeah. Breaks down the lyrics yes. in a really accessible way and an informative way. Yeah, the great Scott Miller, who uh, wrote the chapter for this, uh, for Anything Goes, and is a brilliant musical theater writer, he has a great book called Deconstructing Harold Hill, which if you've never read it, I would encourage you to do so. I would encourage everybody to do so. Mm. He runs the New Line Theater down in Missouri. He's a brilliant individual. It was his idea to take a song that I think we've heard so often, which is You're the Top, mm -hmm. which is from Anything Goes, and to detail specifically what Porter was trying to achieve that because time has marched on, we sort of have lost track of. Mm. Because we were not we were not familiar with Bendel Bonnets. We were not familiar with, you know, Garbo Salary. Uh -huh. um, and so the fact that... Uh, Scott has done such a brilliant job at detailing all of that, I think makes Porter's work even more alive for us today. But you're right, the chapter is interesting because the chapter in the book doesn't necessarily feel like, here's the history of Anything Goes and here's why it was important. It details specifically what Porter brought to musical theater, and this was just the show that he happened to do it on. Mm, so let's talk a little bit about Cole Porter. Great. The guy and the, man, in the myth of legend. Yeah. So where where does he fit into the pop culture that he is so clearly I don't even know if I want to say infatuated with, mm -hmm. but he's concerned with it enough to write all these songs that reference things that we then need to translate I, decades later. You know, I think it was very clear that Cole Porter was writing for his friends. Okay. And I think what he was obsessed with, like you said, and I think obsessed is a very good word, is with intelligence, with wit, with sophistication, with romanticism, um, with luxury. And I think that because he was able to articulate it in a way that made people stand up and listen and go, what exactly is he trying to articulate? Which was so different than composers and lyricists at the time. Because so many of those composers and lyricists it was very obvious and sometimes very generic. Mm. And the fact that he was able to pull people up to his level, mm -hmm. I think is where he fits into the world of pop culture because he's celebrating pop culture. He's okay. not running away from pop culture. The fact, I mean, if you look at something like You're the Top, Garbo Salary, mm -hmm. the, uh, a Berlin ballad, the fact that he loved Irving Berlin and everyone loved Irving Berlin. Right. I mean, this is a guy that has his finger on the pulse and it's a, it's a pulse that a lot of people wish they could have, but economically they cannot. So they aspire to sort of be in his circle. Mm. So in a lot of ways, even though he's talking about pop culture, he's sort of crystallizing for everybody. This is what becomes part of pop culture because I'm putting it in my music. Okay. So, you know, yes, a Berlin ballad is great, but once it gets Cole Porter's seal of approval, it sort of elevates... Irving mm. Berlin balance, if that makes sense. Okay. But it is, it's, he's sort of like the anti, we didn't start the fire. Yeah. Because um, yeah. in a way, that almost feels like it has a perspective on everything it's listing, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah. Um, or La Vie Boheme even feels like it yeah. has a perspective, whereas this... I don't know. It's it's well, different. Well, I think that I mean, I, if you're talking about like list songs specifically, mm -hmm. which is sort of what his big claim to fame was, was mm -hmm. um, a, a list song to me is like a mosaic, um, in which you see all the tiny little pieces lyrically as they're going by you, but then when you step back, you get the whole picture because you look at all the things that were mentioned in the list and you go, "Ah, oh, this is the point of view on it." Um, I think his point of view, if there was one, is this idea of sophistication, this idea of wealth, this idea of um, there's a classy world out there and I'm a part of it. Mm. And he, he was. He was very wealthy. Very much a part of it. Oh, he was. Yeah. I mean, if we want to talk a little bit about Cole Porter, because it's yeah. the only time he comes up in the book. Which is, I mean, 
But I, I, Jay ahead. is yes. a little crazy, but also in the defense of that, you know, we've got one Rodgers and Hammerstein show in the book. You know, there's a yeah. few Sondheim shows. You know, you can't do yeah. more than and, one. And this this might be, you know, and I'm so curious because I'm sure listeners and readers will have a, a more vocal reaction to this than I do, which is, you know, when you look at Cole Porter's work, yes, the works are great, but it's really his songs that stand out. The mm. books are not very strong. Okay. Except, I think, Anything Goes and Kiss Me Kate both have the strong books. Okay. And I think that's why they've survived. I was, those are the two shows. Uh, if you're going to yeah. do... Cole Porter. Cole Porter yeah, as much do. as I love something like Paris, which was one of his first breakout hit musicals in 1928, or something like Silk Stockings, which comes out a little bit later on in his life, those two are the, are the biggest. But my feeling is, is if, if you have to go, what's the key musical between the two of them? I don't think you would have had Kiss Me, Kate, if you had not had Anything Goes. Okay. So that's why Anything Goes is the one Porter musical that we've decided to put in here, as okay. opposed to Kiss Me, Kate. Kiss Me, Kate's interesting because it has such an interesting structure, which is most 80 to 90% of that show plays in real time. Because at the same time, the fake... Or I shouldn't say that the show within the show is going on. Mm-hmm. We also then go to the backstage and see right. what's happening behind the scenes. That's a very revolutionary and interesting structural trick. Hmm. But it's still this. It's, we're talking about wit and sophistication and elevating an audience's sensibilities. And I think anything goes does that better. So Cole Porter, yeah, he was he was born in Indiana. Um, his family was incredibly wealthy. He was musical from a very, very early time. He moved over to Europe. He lived in France for a long time. And he was able to never worry about money. That was never a concern for him. So because of that, he was able to pay for education. He was able to take walking tours of France and and go to museums and collect and absorb all of that information. It's interesting because when you look at people like Irving Berlin, or you look at somebody um, like uh, like a Lorenz Hart or a Jerome Kern, Ro- Richard Rogers, they have such a interesting point of view on the world, which is they're trying to keep everything as optimistic as possible, as generic as possible. Mm-hmm. And I and when I say generic, I'm talking about emotion and using lyrics and using vocabulary that isn't necessarily alienating anybody i don't think okay i feel like with cole porter you might want to have like a dictionary nearby as, as you go through his songs i don't think you necessarily need that for somebody like irving berlin it doesn't mean that one is better one is worse mm-hmm. but while irving berlin is trying to appeal like i said to people's hearts and to the masses porter is like no i'm playing on my own terms because all i know is my community and my community is rich educated people okay do you think that Cole Porter as a writer, as an author, did he have an effect on musical theater outside of, you know, the works that we kind of talked about? Or did he have an effect sort of on the construction of celebrity with this persona? I I think both. I mean, I think to answer the first part of your question, which is, yeah, I think it would be, you'd be hard pressed to find a lyricist who at some point has not tried to emulate Cole Porter. And I think the greatest lyricist of musical theater is Stephen Sondheim. Mm-hmm. And he said one of the greatest thrills in his life was when he played Together Wherever We Go from Gypsy for Cole Porter for the first time. Wow. Because apparently Cole Porter laughed very loud on, uh, what is it, no fists, no fights, no feuds, no egos, amigos. Okay. And it's a that, good lyric. It's a great <laughs> lyric. But the fact that Stephen Sondheim was like, oh my God, Cole Porter validated me. I think every lyricist, um, Stephen Sondheim, Jerry Herman, Richard Maltby, Lorenz Hart, um, Lorenz Hart, I don't, maybe in some ways, um, Jonathan Larson, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda mentions Cole Porter specifically at the top of In the Heights. Mm-hmm. So yes, so I think everyone knows when you when it comes to lyrics, this is the guy because he brought in such a sophisticated vocabulary, but also brought in other languages. Brought in, you know, Spanish vocabulary, French vocabulary, using Spanish words and French words in order to fit a rhyme, which I don't think had really been done before. Okay. So that's that's that. And yes, in the term of celebrity, yeah, I think because what he personified was what everybody in the Great Depression wanted, which is somebody who did not have a care in the world. Cole Porter never had to worry about where his next meal was going to come from. Cole mm. Porter never had to worry about, am I going to be able to pay the rent? 
And that's something I think in the 1930s, audiences really felt. They wanted some sort of escapism. They wanted to have not a care in the world. And okay. he was exemplifying that for them. Mm. Which is why I think so many of those screwball comedy... I, I call this era the champagne era. Okay. Uh, the, shame, the champagne era of musicals. Where it was about woody, sophisticated individuals. And I think because he was so prominent and successful at that, yes, he became a celebrity, but he also became the celebrity that sort of validated other celebrities okay. and validated this is what's in, this is what's out, this is what you should be looking at, this is what you shouldn't be looking at. Even giving things opinions, you know, even even dismissing something um, or, or praising something. Like for, like, for example, like Whistler's mother. Obviously, mm -hmm. that from Porter's point of view, that's a compliment. Uh -huh. uh, painting very vivid pictures of what excitement could be, like I get a kick out of you. Flying too high with some guy in the sky is my idea of nothing to do. I mean, he takes you on a journey that you wish you could afford to go on. Okay. Yeah. So let's change topics a little bit. Let's talk Ethel Merman. Ah! Do we... Oh! Thank yeah, you. let's Thank do you. it. Thank <laughs> you. Do we... Let's do it. Let's fall in love. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. Thank do you. we care about Anything Goes? Does that have anything to do with the fact that... Ethel Merman originated I think Reno Sweeney. So. I think so. Oh, my God. I think the, a big success of... And anything goes, if we can... Yeah, we're going to... Anything goes was done actually in almost reverse engineering of how musicals were created back then. Oh, wow. Which is that most often at this time, producers would uh, get a story that they wanted to do, raise the money, and then go after the writers, go after the cast, because they were in front of the money. Vinton Friedley, who was the producer of this show, mm -hmm. went in the reverse way, which is he brought on Ethel Merman, he brought on William Gaxton, he brought on Victor Moore, and he brought on Cole Porter. Great. And then said, now let's go get money. <laughs> so, yeah, so Merman was a huge get for them. And the fact that she had the loudest voice mm -hmm. and the, one of the greatest voices in musical theater. Um she introduced in this show, Anything Goes. She introduced You're the Top. She introduced I Get a Kick Out of You. And the list goes on and on and on and on. So the fact that, uh, Blow Gabriel Blow, I'm sorry, that oh. was the fourth one I wanted to mention. Um, her power knocked these songs out of the park. It's a perfect storm. You have mm -hmm. one of the most brilliant performers and you have one of the most brilliant lyricists coming together and creating something really magical. If I'm going to be honest with you, if yeah. it wasn't Ethel Merman, I do not know how success, I think the show would have been successful, mm -hmm. but I think there was something about her, her star power, her magnetism and a role that was really tailored for her. Cause oh, Lindsay and Krauss were very smart in going Okay, we know who this character is, but how can we write it in a way that strengths that that really plays to Ethel Merman's strengths? Okay, which had not really been done before. And what I mean by that is, is they knew well other composers who had worked with her go, "Well, she's loud, so we'll give her mm -hmm. loud songs." Mm -hmm. This was the first time they were going, "Yeah, but what is she doing when she's not singing? What's that personality like when she's not singing?" Okay, and they were, and for lack of a better term, they go, "This is a broad." That's how they looked at her, was this is a broad. This is like when you think of that image in your head, that's who Ethel Merman is. So let's use that throughout the show. And it really started to craft her persona. And in fact, Ethel Merman then became almost Cole Porter's muse in a way because he wrote other shows for her as time went on. Okay. She loved him. He loved her. All was great. So yeah, I think her being involved in this... And the fact that she's singing the best songs in the show, mm. I think, went a long, long way. Okay. For her. Do you think? And the show. Because now we've got this long roster of iconic women who have played Reno Sweeney. Yeah. Reno has to be the salt of the earth. Reno has to be incredibly grounded. Reno is the one who sort of sits there and observes everything and goes, "Isn't this fucking silly? <laughs> Isn't this weird?" Um, or isn't this fun? Isn't this great? But she has to have such an automatic connection with us in the audience. Lindsay and Krauss used Amy Simple McPherson 
love as an inspiration for this character. And I think you need that. You need to be a zealot in which we believe it as an audience. Okay. And I think that's what Merman was able to do because she was so grounded and so powerful. That's what I think you need. And I think that's why Patti Lapone was very successful when she did it. Well, she's loud. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> she is. She is loud. And I also think Sutton Foster was successful. Great. When she did it. Did you see either of those? I did. did. Okay. Yeah, well, actually, I should go back. I saw the, the Lincoln Center archive of Anything Goes with Patti Lapone, but then I actually oh, cool. saw the Sutton Foster uh, version. Yeah. I, you need someone that the audience is going to go, I like them and I believe them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I think as soon as you don't have that, you're kind of not in, in a good place. A lot of these 30s shows, and I think what makes them hard, because I think it's a trait that we're kind of losing, is you have to have charming performers. Mm. Um, and I think today's style of comedy, and this isn't, a, this isn't negative at all, is it's very dry, it's very um, cynical, it's very uh, over it, jaded, and I think that sort of personality, it's very hard, I think, to find charming performers today. Okay. And performers, that's, they're, not, they're not giving you a Meisner class, but like <laughs> that they come on stage and you genuinely are charmed by them. And, okay. that, and I think that's what makes this show probably harder to produce as time goes on. Because I, I don't think the script suffers and I don't think the score suffers. Mm-hmm. I think that extra element that Merman brought to it, I don't know if that's still there so much anymore. Would love to have seen Bette Midler play the role at some point. Yeah, why is that? Because I think that would be a perfect casting opportunity. There's someone who's a quote-unquote broad. Mm-hmm. There's someone who can is so incredibly charming. Uh, ha- and no, and you, you want to look at Reno and go, okay, she's going to take care of everything. Yeah. You look at Bette Midler and go, got it. She's good. Yeah, I would love to see her do it. And point. she's loud. <laughs> and she's loud. That's really what the whole show is about. It's just about Anything goes, <laughs> including your eardrums. Be nice and loud. Yeah. Do you think, I, this is kind of out of nowhere, I didn't realize that the character was based on Amy Semple McPherson. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't talk about in the book uh, Amy Semple McPherson's musical. Scandalous. Um, scandalous. There scandalous. we go. <laughs> um, the Kathy Lee Gifford musical Scandalous. Is, there we go. Is, I don't know, does anything goes have anything to do with that? Where we kind of like, we don't need to see this on stage. We've already seen Reno. Oh. Or, no, no. They're two totally separate things. They're two totally separate things. Um, the, the idea that Reno is a female evangelist. Okay. That's pretty much where the lines end between Reno Sweeney and Amy Semple McPherson. Okay. So, yes, I think Amy Semple McPherson's life was probably a million times more interesting than Reno Sweeney's life. I, I think it would make a great musical someday. I don't know if Scandalous just happened okay. to be that musical. Yeah, but I think there's stuff there. Got it. But it'd be great to have seen Ethel Merman play it, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or Bette Midler. Or Bette honestly, Midler. You know? Or Bette Midler. Do you think that we will continue seeing Anything Goes produced, revived? 110%. The story is a rare story from the 1930s, which is the book works. Okay. The book, at, which is, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but, you know, back then the idea was simply, what are the most, what are the greatest songs we can get out of this show? And then we'll write a story loosely around it. Uh-huh. Lindsay and Krauss elevated this book. And then over time, Lindsay and Krauss came back to the book in 1962 to fiddle with it. Then John Weidman fiddled with it in 1987. And by fiddling with it, I mean, it's just, literally getting tighter and tighter and tighter mm-hmm. but it's already in really good shape to begin with so i think because the story is so strong you'll see this show more than any other show i think from the 1930s okay as time goes on okay anything goes was the second longest running book musical of the 1930s wow the first was of the icing mm-hmm. i don't think we see of the icing anymore so much because what it was satirizing I hate to say, I don't want to sound jaded, uh-huh. but like what's going on in the world today, you couldn't make that up. Right. Do you know what I mean? So right, I think of right, the right, I right. now seems very tame. Uh-huh. But Anything Goes has a structure that still works. A boy loves a girl. Mm-hmm. They're being told they can't be together because of economic differences. There's a brassy best, best friend who's going to help put them together. It's on a beautiful boat. Um, it's got really funny characters. And one of the things I think that was so good was 
Lindsay and Krauss took what Bolton and Wodehouse created and literally fleshed it out. Uh, and because of that, they actually were able to make characters that were funny and interesting and that contemporary audiences can still latch onto. Okay. They, Lindsay and Krauss made it feel like a story. If you look at the outline that, because I don't know if people know this, but the, the, what had happened was Vinton Friedley hired Guy Bolton and P.G. Wodehouse to write the story of Anything Goes, to write the, the script of it. Um, he wasn't satisfied with what they came up with. Okay. And by the time it was ready to go into rehearsal, he was like, I can't really use this script. Let me give this to Lindsay and Krauss. And what happened was Guy Bolton would structure the show so he would write down, this happens, and this happens, and this happens. And then P.G. Wodehouse would flesh it out. But it never really got fleshed out. It was still two-dimensional. So he was like, I don't want to use them again. He really couldn't use them again because they were already work- They were in London. They were already in another gig. Okay. So he asked uh, uh, Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss to take over. Howard Lindsay was um, the, um, uh, a director, and he, had worked, he wanted to work with Russell Krauss, uh, who was a press agent. And so the two of them came together and they created a really unique, wonderful book for Anything Goes. So yeah, I think that's why we'll still see it today. I hope that answered the question. No, absolutely. Yeah, which is the fact that they've created something that still works. Plus that score. Right. That score, it can still send shivers down your spine. Listening to someone belt blow Gabriel Blow. Best song on the show. Anything Goes a list song in itself in some ways, is also incredibly funny. And even though the things that they're talking about might seem tame by today's standards, we still get the joke. It's so, what I find so interesting is like when you watch a number like You Are the Top, which is filled with so many contemporary at that time references, audiences still latch onto it. Because yeah, they'll know some of the references like Mickey Mouse or Fred Mm -hmm. Astaire. But they're also watching two characters try to cheer one another up, and that's timeless. Mm. That None of the songs in Anything Goes feel like they come out of thin air, okay. which is what happened so often in 20s and 30s musicals. You'd be like, what the fuck's happening? Why, why are they singing now? Flappers are we. Flappers are we. And in Anything Goes, you never feel that. Okay. I, I don't think you ever feel that. And I think over time, like I said... Lindsay and Krause, as musical theater sort of moved along and got more sophisticated book-wise, I think they went back and peeled away anything that might have felt obtrusive. Mm. But there was very little of that because they were already in pretty good shape. The other story with Bolton and Wodehouse, which some people really can't prove, is the original story of Anything Goes involved a shipwreck. Okay. And right before they were about to go into rehearsal... Uh, there was a fire on an actual cruise ship and like 135 people lost their lives. Mm. So the story always was that Vinton Friedley was like, I I don't want to use this plot anymore and that's why I need these guys to rewrite it. Okay. At the end of the day, it seems that he was just not happy with their work and okay. the fire was coincidental. Mm. But sort of, this is very tangential mm-hmm. in a musical we don't talk about in this book, but sort of the opposite when we look at Lindsay and Krause's work on The Sound of Music. Oh, yeah. And this was the first collaboration between these oh, guys. Oh, really? Yeah, they had that. never worked together before. And look at what, like you said, what it gave. Sound of Music is a mm-hmm. fantastic example. But that one this. starts as a play. Yes. We're going to bring in Rodgers and Hammerstein to maybe write a song or two yeah. for this play. Yeah. And now, who cares about the book, you know? Like, yes. <laughs> you know, it's all about that music. It's The Sound of Music. Of music. But these songs... So popular, I actually heard, you're not going to believe me, but I did hear uh, Louis Armstrong's You're the Top in the grocery store the did you other really? day. Yeah. The, the songs of his, they don't go away. Mm-mm. They don't go away because he captured something timeless. And I think because he was so into wit and so into sophistication, that never goes out of style. Mm. And, you know, there was a, there's a contemporary album, I think, where modern singers, like, you know, went through and did Cole Porter's songbook. You know, Lady Gaga gravitates towards it. Um, okay. Michael Buble gravitates towards it. it his, his ability to communicate in such a fun way 
and in a subversive way. That's the other thing. He's kind mm. of cool or lit. Kind of. Lit, as the kids <laughs> would say. He's lit. Um, because he's thumbing his nose at the establishment. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a part of the establishment, but he's thumbing his nose at it and is saying, yo, people have sex. We'll talk about that. Yes, people will talk in coded language because they're not allowed to love who they're so, they, they want to love. Um, and that doesn't go away. That doesn't go away. Mm. It's fun. It's fun for us. And, and to still hear... I remember when I saw Bullets Over Broadway um, when uh, two of the characters sang Let's Misbehave. Mm-hmm. And it was a song that... It's a Cole Porter song, but not a lot of people, I think, in that audience was familiar with that song because they were on the younger side. Uh-huh. They found it hysterical. They found it hysterical. I still... You can watch people still sing today. Birds do it. Bees do it. Even educated fleas do it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. It's funny in 2022. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it was funny in 1922. Or 1928, I, I Let's talk say. about a joke that's still funny... Is going to be funny till the end of time. Yeah. Is um, kiss me, Kate. Dick, 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 dick. A oh, dick, absolutely, dick, 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 dick. Absolutely, that's hysterical. Yeah, and and people still laugh at it it's today. Still funny. They still laugh at it. Uh, that was the other thing he brought brought to this. He brought sex, which is a lot of musicals at this time. It was about love, and it was about I love you, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. And Cole Porter said, "Yeah, but people also have sex, and mm. so let's let's talk about that Do you in think- coded ways." Not to, you know, totally put a damper on how lit Mr. Porter was. Do you think, is there a larger conversation here about Cole Porter, like, trailblazing for queerness within musical theater? Yeah, because he was able to write in much like Lorenz Hart's way, which is, it was coded, which was, he was, if you were in the audience and you were a gay person you knew exactly what he was talking about. Because a lot, of the, a lot of his most effective songs, and also Lorenz Hart's most effective songs, I think, are about love that's gone away, or love that cannot happen. And I think for a heterosexual audience, they go, well, it can't happen for you know, this reason and that reason. But if you're a queer person and you're hearing it, you know exactly what he's talking about. You know that society is the one that's saying that you guys can't be together. And I think that probably comforted a lot of queer individuals who were seeing these shows, who were thinking probably before they went in, I'm, you know, I'm alone, nobody understands what I'm going through, mm-hmm. nobody gets it. And there's a character singing it. Yes, it's a cisgender character. Yes, it's a heteronormative character. But the language is coded in such a way that makes you as a queer person in the audience go, I think he's talking about me. Mm. I think he's talking about me. And... I think, yes, you can draw a line from, like, No Coward and Cole Porter to any sort of queer musicals that we have today. Yeah. Do you think that... And this is a tough one, because he did something so specific, and we're talking about such specificity here with him. Do you think we have contemporary artists who are sort of picking up this mantle and carrying on sort of the legacy of Cole Porter? In terms of wit and sophistication? In terms of or, anything, or, I guess. Or, or queerness. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I am hard-pressed to find one, except maybe David Yazbek. Okay. I, might, I might put David Yazbek in this category. The only reason I'm saying that is, is because one of the things I think is so interesting about Cole Porter, like we were talking about, is this idea that he has to code what his message is. And I think in this day and age, because of the work that he laid and Lorenz Hart laid and Noel Coward laid, um, you don't have to code anymore. It's Mm. out there. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need to do a musical where someone's hinting about being gay. You can now have a whole musical where someone is gay and no no one bats an eye at it. Um, But in terms of sophistication and wit, I would say the closest, I think, is David Yazbek. Okay. Um... I think, for me, there's something about his writing style that, to me, is reminiscent of Cole Porter. There's an attempt at being sophisticated. Um, and I think, like, if you listen I, like if you listen to something like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, okay. I feel like that leans very heavily into the world of Cole Porter. Okay. Um, there, I think there are also elements of the band's visit that has that intelligence. We're talking about intelligence. Mm-hmm. Intelligence. And this idea of an elevated language. 
nowadays a lot of songwriters I think are trying to write in the common vernacular because mm-hmm. that's what musicals are supposed to be now. But with Yazbek, I feel like there's a sort of elevation that Cole Porter has, which is you need to listen. Mm. You can't just wait for someone to riff. The, yeah, yearning for Omar Sharif is a yes, very yes, yes. kind of... Absol- wait a minute, who's he? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Or give them what they want, which is the opening number of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Okay. That also has a Porter-like sophistication to it. Great big stuff. Mm. Is basically, I mean, it is a list song. Uh-huh. And that's, I mean, that's the other thing that, and this is what the chapter is covering, is the big thing that Porter really brought to the forefront was this idea of a list song. This idea that you could have a song that wasn't necessarily all about flowers and images and, and visualization. It was just naming a list of items, and that list of items has a collective, whole emotional feeling for the audience. Which I guess is a great continuation of an earlier chapter, an earlier interview where we talk about Gilbert and Sullivan yes. sort of pioneering the patter song. Yes. And the Gilbert and Sullivan with the patter song, I think what makes them a little, I think where Cole Porter moved the needle a little bit was in those patter songs. And please correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. They're funny, but they're funny about the character. Um, it's about the character's idiosyncrasies. Like in modern major general, uh-huh. like the square of the hypotenuse and all that stuff. Um, that's all about that individual. What Cole Porter is doing is, is he's like, let me bring in society and pop culture. Let me bring that into it. Okay. To, to show examples of things. Because then the audience gets a, a bigger laugh out of it because they go, oh my gosh, we were just talking about Garbo's salary before we, we got to the theater <laughs> today, right? Or right. we're laughing about the pants on a Roxy Usher. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's all those things that are there. And I think that's the way patter songs have now gone. Because when you look at patter songs, not, I'm sorry, list List songs. songs. I'm sorry, list songs. When you look at list songs now, it's really all contemporary references Mm. or contemporary at the time. Like, I think a really great, I think one of the best list songs um, is I Want It All from Baby. Okay. Because it's these three women and they go through as many pioneering women as possible to say that's who they want to be in their life. Mm. They're not talking about, like they go, I want to be, what is it? I want to be Donna Summer, Donna McKechnie, Donna Reed. They don't talk about Donna Summer's musical ability. They don't talk about Donna McKechnie's dance talent. They just say the name. And Uh the name automatically for us as an audience triggers, oh, that's the kind of person they want to be. Okay. Which is, I think, a totally different way of doing a list song. Mm. Gilbert and Sullivan spells it out for you. This is who I am. This right. is what I do. Or doesn't spell it out to you, I, just sort of like yeah. the opposite, but in such a way that, you know, when we do the Mikado now, one of the big things is needing to rewrite the um, A More Humane Mikado, where he's oh, yeah. listing who yeah. he's going to punish. Yes, yeah. It's so not funny because it's so specific to a time, whereas yes. Cole Porter, we do still get a kick. No yes. pun intended, Thank you. out of, you know. Thank you. And <laughs> These lists. No, exactly. And I think another big one, a good one, is La Vivo M from Rent, mm-hmm. which is, exa- you just have to read one of those verses and you go, I get it. I know exactly who these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, today, we were. I was talking about this a little bit earlier, pulled from Adam's family, like in the middle, there's a little... Uh-huh. A little section there. I don't think it does list songs very effectively there, no. but that's that's my opinion, and no. I love that score. Um, There's other stuff going on there. It's silly. There's yeah, and I love that. Sh- I love that yeah. show. That's no. not a knock on the show. Yeah. Um, and then of course, like in pop culture, there's things like "We Didn't Start the Fire," which is the Billy Joel song, mm-hmm. which is also you know a list. It's a right. list. Um, and it's supposed. What it does is, in a lot of ways, is it makes you bring your own emotional recall to the proceedings. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yep. Which is when he says, you know, uh, Joe DiMaggio, you in your mind have an image of who Joe DiMaggio is. You bring you bring that to that moment. Mm-hmm. As opposed to something like Major General, where he's telling you who he is and you're being introduced to him. You have no baggage going into right, that. Right, right. You have no collective memory. 
but it's, I don't know. Square of the hypotenuse brings up a lot for some people. I know, and I think we should yeah. honor that. No, you're right. You're right. And I should have. We should do a trigger warning. Yeah, that Thad Grayson's theorem would be discussed today. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's I think the other big thing that Porter brings to it is a list. His best list song, probably in my opinion, is "Brush Up Your Shakespeare." Oh, it's fabulous. I mean, the genius. The genius on that is is so incredible. Yeah. The fact that he can name so many of Shakespeare's plays, knows when to get the rhyme in, knows when the internal rhyme is going to work. It's literally a masterpiece. The fact that he got Troilus and Cressida in there, whatever, whatever and you want, Cole and Porter. That's also some of the fun, I think, of a list song, which is trying to guess who are they going to mention next? Mm. Or who, who, who are they going to mention? Who are they going to leave out? Like, mm-hmm. I think in La Vie Boheme, it's fun to hear, you know, to song time. Was it to song time? To, to song time. time to it's genius. Taboo. Yeah. It's genius. Uh, this is crazy. You can feel free to cut this part out. But I remember, I don't know which one of us it was, but this must have been years ago. One of us had a fun fact about, oh, there's only this many people referenced in We Didn't Start the Fire still alive. And we yes. sat around for like an hour in your apartment and we did, we tried to figure out. It was out a trivia it question. Was. It was yes. a trivia question. Yes. I don't remember which one of us like had found it, but it, it's fun, you know? It was fun to say, well, Queen Elizabeth is still alive. Yeah. And yeah. what does the, the subway. What's uh, Bernard it Getz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, was the still alive was in there. Yeah. at the point that we were talking about. It. I don't. I don't remember what the number was. I don't know if it's still true, but... But we bring our collective memories mm-hmm. to those things. And that, I think, is also exciting for an audience. Yeah. And I think that's also something Porter tapped into. Yeah. Mm. Do you think if you were tasked tomorrow with putting on Anything Goes, is there a responsibility for the director, for the creative team, for the dramaturg, whoever's putting together the program, do we need to know, like, do we need some of the references broken down for us to enjoy this show? I, to enjoy the show? Mm-hmm. No. Great. To enjoy the show? No. The show works. Show, the show absolutely works. And like I said, in You're the Top, it's about joy. And that first verse a word's poetic, I'm so pathetic that I've always found it best instead of getting them up and just let them rest on the It sets up very clearly to us, I'm going to cheer him up. Uh-huh. So we know. We know that's what she's intending to do. Mm-hmm. So we don't have, even if we don't know what the pants of a Roxy Usher mean, <laughs> means, we're still on board because we know what her objective is. Right, okay. So I know, I don't think so. I also don't think jokes are funny if you have to explain them. <laughs> so if you either get, you either get the joke or you don't get the joke. Uh-huh. You either get... Bendel Bonnet, or you don't get Bendel Bonnet. Great. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't change your, it, it doesn't make you go, I, I didn't like this show because I didn't know what the pants of a Roxy Usher were. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Which, no offense to this show, my heart goes out to every high schooler out there in perpetuity forever <laughs> who has to do Bye Bye Birdie. And oh. the Al Schweitzer joke. Oh, yeah. And, even some of like the Mussolini stuff, like some of it is. They're so all the same from Benedict dead. Arnold to Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a couple jokes in there. Clinda Meissen, like that's just like. Yeah. They it, don't land, but I think you are right. I think you're the top is still fun as long as you're big, you're broad in every sense. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, like I said, you know, there are some references in there that it still lands. You might not get every reference, but uh-huh. you'll at least get one out of every six. Okay. And that's and that's that's great. That's, that's but, a good but no, you're right. Like something like Bye Bye Birdie is really I always feel bad for the shows where you're like, I have no understand like bells are ringing. <laughs> oh no. It's so hard because you just go, do people understand what an answering service the was? Premi- right. Like the premise, the, the whole premise the of the whole show idea is so bizarre. And Parts foreign. of pajama game, get Parts a little of pajama bit, game. Like, what's what's going on? Exactly. And those those to me, I think those are ones I'm like, ooh, how do how does a younger generation tap into that? Mm, but you don't, you wouldn't put Anything Goes or any of these songs in that camp necessarily. Mm, no, no, I would not. Okay. I would not. No, I, I think that on they're just, they're joyous. They're joyous and you, you get the point of what's supposed to be happening. Do you think, will we see a resurgence in your imagination of sort of, joyous musicals anytime soon? Like, are we due for that? I think so, because I think 
what we're going through now is not that different from what people were going through in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people will say, no, there's a difference. And yes, I know that. But what I'm talking about is this national identity of who are we? Uh-huh. What are we doing with ourselves? And are we ever going to be able to afford to get things that we want and to do things that we want? Mm. I think the fact that in the 1930s, people were desperately... I mean, look, look at the pandemic. What was most successful during the pandemic? Escapism. Right. People, that's what people were looking at during... Any time the country goes through a national crisis, which is what we're going through right now, and we've mm-hmm. been going through it now, I think, for quite a long time... People look for escapism. People look for ways of being uh, taken out of themselves. And I think Broadway, at times like this, does a really good job of providing that. Like, for example, look at the early 2000s, right after 9-11. Look at all the musicals that came in that were successful. Mm. Hairspray, Millie, Mamma Mia. It was all shows that were comfort food. Mm -hmm. Comfort food. And I think that we will be getting more shows like Anything Goes, which is just, it's calm. It's, we just want to make you laugh. Mm -hmm. We just want to make you laugh. I think what's going to be tricky is in this day and age, what exactly can make people laugh and what's appropriate comedy. Mm. I think that's something I don't think they were dealing with during Cole Porter's time. Okay. Which is what can we what what is funny? Because I think right now, and that's also a problem with anything goes, which is there's stuff in anything goes now that you go, right. oh, gee, gee, what? Jesus, yeah. Well, what is this? Like this right. is offensive. How are right. we going to handle this? Right. So I think one of the big issues that people are running into now with comedy is is how do you create a comedy that's funny, but at the same time not offend people or marginalize people or diminish people. And that's something that they were not dealing with that we're dealing with now. Mm. So I'm, I guess, so the answer is I think yes, but I think it might be done in a more sensitive manner. And, okay. But it, it's very possible though, you know, yeah, it's oh, very much like absolutely. people are doing it. Oh, of course. Over. And I think we'll see more of them. I think Great. we'll see more of them. I think that I don't know if it'll ever be at the wit and sophistication. Although, you know what? I'm sorry. I, besides David Yazbek, I can't believe I left this name off. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Right. I, f- I feel like his desire to have a perfect lyrical moment and one that is filled with cleverness, mm-hmm. the, him him and David Yazbek, I think, would be the two that are carrying on the Cole Porter torch. All right. The one who comes to mind for me, and I don't know his name, but is a, a TikToker who does these raps that just sort of ramble through pop culture and like references all these moments. Oh, I love um, that. But it's it's maybe like a very literal, fine uh, translation of what Cole Porter was doing. But I do think it's it is what Cole Porter was doing, and it's everything you were just talking about. Where it's like the whole comedy of it relies on you having an image of your mind. This time, yes. not of Joe DiMaggio, but of, yes. you know, Azalea Banks. Like yes. you having a perspective, you knowing who Shrek is, you know, stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Exactly. And those things go on for a while. Mm. And so I think you can get maybe like, I don't know. I think you're the top works for about 50 years or so okay. entirely. And then it starts to dip off and people mm. go, what's the rocks? Who's Bendel? What's oh, this? No. What's that? And I'm sure within 50 years, sort of the same thing. Sort of, yeah. They'll go, who's Azalea Banks? Who? Yeah. Oh, I know Shrek. Oh, yeah. Well, what's of course, what's of Azalea? Course. Who's that? What is that? Is that a location? <laughs> Sure, yeah. You know? And so, no, and I, but I, I think you have like a 50 year shelf life. Okay. With, with, the, with some of those things. But there, Shrek is the Mickey Mouse. Oh, I Shrek got it. The, I got it. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. Shrek, Shrek, is, Shrek is the Minnie Mouse. Say no more. Mickey yeah. Mouse, got it. You're the top. Understood. And it's interesting, actually, like when I do, um, I want it all in my classes. It's interesting to note, like, as time goes on, how many more times Hans will go up and go, who's this person? Like, 20 uh, years ago, it would be like, uh, I want to be Margaret Sanger, Margaret Thatcher, Margaret Mead. Okay. And people would go, I know Margaret Mead and I know Margaret Thatcher, but who's Margaret Sanger? Okay. And now it's like, I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> so it's interesting to watch as time goes on how that sort of just fades out of people's consciousness. Then mm. one of the questions I think that comes up a lot with 
you're the top, actually. And a lot of Cole Porter songs is, do we update it to, like, get people to understand or to, to make a joke land better? I mm. don't think you need to. Okay. But that's just me. But I don't know, like, if we get to that point, is that the time that we say, great, Thank you. Anything goes. Go join up the I sing. Maybe <laughs> we'll see you at Encores. You oh, know? great! No, I no, I don't think I don't think so because I think that is a sm- like one tiny percent of the overall show. Okay. If there was a show that like I mean, and we I'm mean, trying to think of like ones off the top of my head where they're so pop culture heavy that you're like I just can't. oh you know what which one comes to my mind and it's actually I think a good show. Is something like Top Banana, okay, which is a musical from the fifties, and it's a parody of Milton Berle's television show, okay. and making fun of Milton Berle. And if you don't know who he is and you don't know the show, then it kind of just you know, That's when I'm like, you're going to go to encores, and, and we'll see fun. you in ten years with yep. Nathan Lane playing the role. And best of luck. <laughs> um, but anything goes. That the, the contemporary references is just a small part. Okay. Of the overall part of the show. Mm. Honestly, you could cut your the top and still have a great show. Oh, absolutely. As long as you have Blow Gabriel Blow. Yeah. And nobody, needs, and nobody yeah. needs that. No. And that's the other thing, which is you enjoy Anything Goes. You didn't know it was based on Amy Simple McPherson. No. You just go, that's a fun character. Right. If you know who Amy Simple McPherson is, it gives it elevates it a little bit. It adds mm-hmm. a layer. But it doesn't take anything away. Mm. Top Banana is a show where... If you don't know who Milton Berle is, this show makes no sense. Okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. You know, and you just sit there and you go, I don't get this. <laughs> What's happening? Like, why is this, fu- why is this funny? Mm. I don't think you have that problem when anything goes. You okay. still go, I know why this is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Still enjoy. I think so. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting about Anything Goes With Me. Oh, thanks, Andrew. This was such a pleasure. I'm so happy that you uh, asked me to come and talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 Key Stage Musicals by visiting Routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. If you want to learn more about Anything Goes, please also review the links in the below description. I'm Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.